0: sharp,
1: pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Karen Pence is the wife of the vice president. She's teaching art at a place where the application requires would-be employees to initial next to a list of beliefs, including certain moral misconduct.
2: Congress is the only one that can fund the border. Congress is the only one that can open up government. They need to go do their job. Um, and, and think about, it. they're talking about doing a recess. If, if in my business life,
1: I'd say, if we have a problem, we're all staying here until we get it resolved. And now Stacy Washington.
3: Welcome back to the program. It's hour two of Stacy on the ride here on Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. Thank you so much for being with us. Happy Thursday to you. It's Friday Eve and we have so much more for you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to actually go straight to this audio. It's, Feel good audio, uh, and I probably could have saved it for Friday because we like to have feel good stories on Friday. But this is fun, and I think it's just an example of what we can do as a community of believers for people in our communities, our larger communities, to try to um, show them the love of Christ. And so this is such a great, just it's a great piece, and it it's not a condemnation for any church that's not doing this. All churches are involved in philanthropic and charitable work. It's 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 only to point out that. Uh, sometimes the things, when you get an idea, which is how this all came about, you get this idea to do something and it can turn into something that really is so impactful that local news decided to do a story on it. Uh, So take a listen, it's number six.
4: If the church does not impact the community that the church is in, then the church isn't doing its job. Pastor Chris Everson's congregation at the Royce City First United Methodist Church has a tradition of donating holiday offerings to charity last year we uh, heard about the need at our uh, what we call our sister school davis elementary school the congregation paid off seventeen hundred dollars in lunch debt for that school in 2017 then took it a step further the question came up what would it look like if we did this for the entire isd the answer, a 200-member congregation came up with more than $10,000 to cover any student $20 or more behind in school lunch payments.
5: It's going to make such an impact for families um, when they log onto that account and they see, oh, I don't know anything, what, what a feeling.
3: Wow. So this is something small, obviously. I mean, your lunch account at school, um, being you know twenty dollars in arrears, is not something that uh, probably is keeping parents up at night. But it is something that, if you go in to pay your account and the account has been paid, that families kind of feel like, whoa, what a, you know, what a break that you know, however into the red it was, that just gives them a little more time to put some money into the account, and it it keeps working class families who are struggling with that. It just gives them a little boost over the holiday. And so, you know, the, I thought the story was great because he starts off, they interviewed him in the church, the pastor, and he says, you know, you just, what are we doing as the church? And it started off that they were just doing the school in the independent school district that was closest to them, the little elementary school. And it got such a great response that they decided, you know what, we what you know what we'd like to do is do the entire district and then they put that number forward that it was around 10 grand to pay all of the lunch accounts in arrears and then the the congregation responded i know over christmas we had an offering for missions that raised and i was shocked by how much money was raised that one weekend where they dedicated the donations from you know obviously more people go to church on the holidays and that christmas service it raised a lot of money for the missions that our church is involved in. And so I think people are really generous and open with giving, especially during the holidays, or if it's a specific need that they, they hear this needs to be met. And we also know this to be true because of our audience here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talks, such an amazing, giving, responsive audience. And so it's just fun to hear that other people are doing that. Um, and in this case, for kids at school, for lunches. So, especially now that kids can eat, you know, in addition to salads, they can eat other things like chocolate milk and pizza, again, because now um, they have regular lunch instead of the Michelle Obama lunch program that was forced down their throats during the Obama administration. So uh, now I want to pivot over to this new, newly elected congressional member. She's her name's uh, her last name's Omar. And she is under a little bit of fire, even from mainstream media outlets, for tweets that she has sent out back in 2012 and other times about um, Palestine and Israel. She's very much anti-Israel. Um, her comments are now being construed as possibly being anti-Semitic. And I, I can't even begin to, to express how disturbing it is when you're listening to her that she's been elected to our actual US Congress. It's it's just I was listening to a couple of the interviews that she's given over the past few days and I'm like, how did this woman get elected in America with these views? But this is the prevalence of liberalism and the it's a disease that is infecting people's minds and causing them to be unable to think and the influx in immigration from places that don't have American ideals and they're concentrating the refugees and immigrants from these countries in areas where they're just recreating the same situations that they had in their home countries. I said it, and I'm not sorry. These people are not being assimilated into American culture and our way of life. This woman is still wearing a headscarf in America where we're all supposed to be free and liberated and feminism rules. She's covering her head up. She's living under Sharia-type conditions. Here she is, and I'm just... Unbelievable. She's defending a tweet, and she says she doesn't know how her comments could be construed as being offensive to Jewish Americans. It's number one.
4: Oh, uh,
1: that's a really a regrettable way of, of expressing that. Um, I, I don't know um, how my comments would be offensive to, to Jewish Americans. My comments uh, precisely are addressing uh, what was happening uh, during the, the Gaza War. Um, And I am clearly speaking about the way that the Israeli uh, regime um, was uh, conducting
3: itself uh, in, in that war. So she calls Israel a regime. Now, why would she do that? Why would she say that the Israelis are a part of a regime? A regime is a form of government or the set of rules, cultural or social norms they regulate the operation of a government or institution's interactions with society. That's the, uh, the, the you know, typical definition that you can find online. But it also means a government, especially an authoritarian one. Now, she's talking about Israel, one of the most free and open societies on the face of this planet. A country that accepts Palestinians and Arabs and Muslims into their country, not just to work, but to actually live and become citizens. They're very open and free, and they have completely converted the little sliver of land that they have into a paradise and an economic marvel, and they've done all of that under threat of war for the entirety of their nation's existence. And they're constantly having rockets fired into their country by people who come from the same place that this woman comes from. But she calls the Israeli government, which is legitimate and recognized internationally, a regime. Not only is it not authoritarian, But it is the only standing democracy in the Middle East. All of the other ones are actual authoritarian regimes. But that language, that carefully constructed use of regime and other terms to try to sway opinion and to kind of, she's speaking in code to her audience. It just signifies how far we've fallen that we would have this woman elected to serve in our Congress. It's a shame. It is an absolute abomination. But if you go to the place where she was elected from, you probably wouldn't recognize much of America there either. I I don't care who I just upset just now. You're going to be all right. But and if you're mad, I don't care. I hope you understand why I don't care. Um. So Jacob in Alabama, thank you so much for calling the show. Uh, How you doing, my (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm blessed all as well.
6: Did any better? I wouldn't be able to stand it. I tell you, um, you, you told me your, your main scripture is going to be um, 37 and 73 in Psalms, but he also told me to share this with you as well. Be very, very watchful when the Lord moves on the foolishness of Nancy Pelosi, Sister Tlaib, at all of them, because 17, you're going to have to do not rejoice when your enemy falls, because they're going to fall. And Mm. do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and it displeases him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor the envious of the wicked. But there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put
3: So good. And it's a great reminder. And you know what, Jacob, we do need reminding. And I I was just talking about this with one of our kids. Um, You know, when we say, um, you know, well, this person's been mean or this has happened and you're trying to coach your kid through it. And then later something happens and you see that person is now experiencing something bad. And the Bible says that is when we're, we're the most in danger as you know, the person who was aggrieved, because then we may take joy in that or relish that, you know, kind of come up and, and, then the Lord will have sympathy on our enemy. And then, you know, so it's, it's like, don't, don't get happy when you see your enemy come to, you know, their just desserts. And we saw that a lot in the Bible with David. Um, he would have like the, t- the opportunities he had to kill Saul and he didn't take them because he would fuse to touch the Lord's anointing. And then after Saul's death, as David was coming into his kingdom, bit by bit, people would kill members of the kind of the, the government of Saul, the, the, the ruler, rulers people, and they would bring, you know, the person's head to David and look, I killed your enemies, you know, head his head person. And he's like, you can't be killing people because they work for Saul. Saul was God's anointed and you, so now you have to die. And on every opportunity, David always pointed out that he would not participate in touching God's anointing or trying to force or shoehorn his way into what had already been given to him. He'd already been blessed and and anointed as the next king, but he wasn't going to take it by force or by hook or by crook or through his own power. He waited on God to make the moves. And we have to be reminded of that for the same thing. I'm in the same boat. When I get excited about something or I see an opportunity, I'm like, you know what? All I have to do is do this, this, and this, or make this phone call or send this email and I'll just get this thing going. And what I've been learning over time, this past few years especially, is that God can have something in store for you, but it's not our timing; it's His. And so it's a great point. And I do, I do believe that you know this this woman from the congresswoman from uh, you know the, one of these areas, they sent her there to do that. You know now we have Keith Ellison and others who practice Islam talking about they're going to have all of the members of the the Congress be Muslim, and they're going to have all, even all the way up to the presidency. They're going to have the entire government; that's going to be Muslim. Yeah, I don't actually think that's going to happen. Um and but it 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 bears it bears discussion. We can't be those people who are like with blinders on and not seeing the changes that are happening in our country. But instead of getting enraged about it or, you know, feeling depressed or or getting pushed around about it, we just have to remember that God is in control and he's going to work all things out for our good and there's so many examples in the Bible where he took even when his anointed ones, even when people who he, he literally, he has this amazing relationship with them they would make a mistake. God would still bring about the, uh, you know, fulfillment of prophecy and the resolution of, of things that were impacting the nation of Israel. He would bring those things about through their mistakes because he is able and he's ready and able to do anything and a, far above all that we dare ask or think, obviously. And so it's just good. Um, it's good to focus on that. So as we 're going out here, I want to cover one more thing we have We have Eric Shiner, director of mrc tv he 's going to come on and talk about the caravan organizer, the most recent caravan that actually reached the southern border. He was arrested on rape charges and two hundred and fifty illegal aliens arrested after a smuggling smuggling operation, a smuggling operation um, Again we 're back to the solicit drugs and everything like that. But this is actually good news this last little news piece I have this Irish it's a story out of Ireland where they just had a referendum to legalize abortion in their their country. So doctors and nurses across the Republic of Ireland are refusing to participate in abortions following the recent change in the law. There are 19 maternity units in the country and more than half of them are not providing abortions currently because people are the doctors and nurses are objecting on conscience grounds. One of the doctors said On a personal level, I will never do anything that will intentionally lead to the death of one of my patients, be that a baby in the womb or anybody else, an older sick person, whether I'm operating within the law. Dr. Andrew O'Regan, co-carry practitioner, the welfare of the patients in front of me is more important than a very, very corrupt law. This is the ultimate in standing on what's right. I applaud these people. All right, when we get back, we'll have our guests for you. Stay there. Stay there.
0: Over the past few years, the AFR family has teamed up with India Partners to help rescue young children from Mumbai's Red Light District. Through your gifts, new safe houses have been built, and existing homes have been expanded, allowing more children to have their basic needs met. They're being taught who Jesus is and about his love for them. Payal was one of the children rescued.
1: I came to know about Jesus. After I came over to this safe house, I didn't know anything about Jesus. But after I came over here, my life changed.
0: AFR staff members will visit these safe houses in January. They would like to bring some personal notes from you to remind these children that they are loved and are being prayed for. Would you please join us in providing a note of encouragement? You can find all the details and where to send your letter by visiting AFR.net. That's AFR.net. We hope you'll join us as we share God's love with these precious children by writing a simple note of encouragement. Visit AFR.net. AFR.net.
7: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Where are the moderate Muslims? This is a question I hear whenever there's a terrorist attack and there seems to be silence from the Muslim community. Christine Douglas Williams tries to answer that question and many others in her book, The Challenge of Modernizing Islam. When she was on my radio program, she said that the original title talked about reforming Islam. They concluded that that wasn't precise enough. She points out that currently there is a turf war within Islam between those who seek to reform Islam back to the 7th century and those who seek to reform it to modernity. The first part of her book includes interviews she has done with moderate Muslims like Dr. Zudi Jasser, Dr. Twafiq Hamid, and Rahil Raza. Although I have interviewed some of them, we don't hear from them in the mainstream media too often because many of them aren't given a platform. Of course, we also have to acknowledge that many of them are threatened if they speak out. The subtitle of Christine Douglas Williams' book says it all, Reformers Speak Out and the Obstacles They Face. You know, it's worth mentioning that not all moderates are reformers. Reformers usually insist that the text in Islam must be subject to new interpretations. To do so will be difficult. It might mean, for example, having to set aside 14 centuries of interpretation as well as Muslim history. Now, most of those interviewed also believe that a Muslim's attitude towards Israel was a significant factor in determining their Islamist sympathies. Although one doesn't have to be a Muslim to dispute Israel's right to exist, her chapter explains how classical anti-Semitism has really become part of the Arab intellectual life. Her book, I believe, is a powerful reminder of how hard it will be to bring Islam into the modern world. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view.
1: For more information about issues covered on Viewpoints, visit pointofview.net. Pointofview.net. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: All right. Welcome back to the show. You can find us online everywhere. Instagram at Stacey on the right. Check me out there. And also you can find the Facebook pages for Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. You can hit the notifications button, whatever you want to do. We have great content over there as well. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Let's go to our guest. We have Eric Shiner, director of MRC TV. Thanks, Eric, for joining us today. Oh,
2: thanks for having me, Stacey. Great to be here.
3: You know, I'm so it's it's like whenever you think the other shoe is dropped, then there's a, a third or eighth or 100th shoe. And this is information that you guys sent out today about the caravan organizer who's been arrested on rape charges and 250 illegal aliens arrested after a smuggling operation went wrong. What is
2: going on? Yeah, well, you know, it seems in many cases, uh, the these caravans that are coming to the U.S. want to prove President Trump right that this is an invasion. And, and that's exactly it. You know, uh, people say that the Trump administration has been deceitful in, in giving out information that, uh, you know, there's criminals and there's bad people in some of these migrant caravans and we don't know who they are. And then these stories come out and tell us when we find out who they are, you know, we're not we're not so happy to find out. This is a Juan Carlos Molina. He's been identified as an organizer, a promoter of the trip, a 26 year old man. And as he was getting ready to head over from Honduras to Mexico to go up to the U S border as part of one of these caravan groups, uh, they they located him because he had an outstanding warrant on rape charges from 2015. So you know, it, it's exactly those those kind that kind of information that you get it makes you go, my goodness, you know, who are these people? And this is an organizer, you know. And now we're Wait, 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 another... but
3: in the United States, I want to be clear here because people are probably listening and going, wait, where was he? When rape charges from in the United States. That that
2: we haven't heard uh, all the way through. That that There's some conflicting information coming from Honduran newspapers. He has an outstanding warrant from Honduran authorities, is our understanding at this point. Mm. Okay. But there has been some conflicting reports that, that he may have uh, some criminal uh, the, the criminal allegations here in the United States. But that hasn't been confirmed yet. According to the El uh, Geraldo, I believe it's a Honduran newspaper, it's uh, it's Honduran authorities saying that he has an outstanding warrant. Um, so that would be in Honduras.
3: OK, OK. Uh, so it I guess this just flies in the face of this all. They all have a spark of divinity from Nancy Pelosi and everyone else who's been saying, look, just let them in if they're not criminals. Aren't they criminals by nature of the fact that they seek to enter the country illegally? That's the first thing we have to get out of the way.
2: Um, well, I think, yes. I think as soon as you enter the I mean, you're breaking a law and becoming a criminal the second you enter the, uh, the U.S. illegally. Um, I think many Americans feel that way. And then a second issue that really, I think, hasn't been brought up by a lot of lawmakers is, in many cases, and those that have suffered from it, is the uh, taking of Social Security numbers used for jobs and applications uh, Mm -hmm. to work, uh, the identity theft issue. Um, And in some cases, uh, lawmakers have stepped up and said, well, you know, they can't possibly remember all the ones that that they've taken and that they've used, and you have to question, well, why can't they remember that if they're caught? And that's another issue as well. Those that have suffered from that uh, particular issue um, in terms of people that have tried to retire, collect Social Security benefits or things of that nature, or have not received the tax return because their ID has been stolen and used illegally is an issue that affects them and will probably come to the forefront again as we enter the time of tax return season.
3: <laughs> and, and, and again... This is where uh, your experience kind of dictates whether or not you care, because for liberals, it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's about if it has impacted them. So if they've never been impacted, then they don't care. And even if they are impacted, we've seen over and over again in news stories where if a liberal is impacted negatively, then what they'll say is, well, But that still doesn't change the issue. That's anecdotal or that's just one life or that's uh, what did the guy say? I had a caller who said um, those are just raw numbers. You know, when you talk about the number of people who've been raped or kidnapped or assaulted or dangerous drug offenses, he'll say, well, those are just raw numbers. They're not percentages. So human beings killed, kidnapped, raped, et cetera. They're raw numbers. They're not human beings. They're not people that should impact our thinking on an issue.
2: Right. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, you referenced Nancy Pelosi's spark of divinity comments. Uh,
3: that she made earlier when, when
2: saying, you know, we, everyone has the spark of divinity. We have to recognize that. We can't we can't belittle these people, uh, you know, uh, when they come over. They, everyone has this spark of divinity. It needs to be recognized. We should let them in. One of the interesting things is the angel moms,
6: um,
2: the, the parents of victims of illegal immigrants that were going to Nancy Pelosi's office and Chuck Schumer's office the other day, you know, one of them held a sign, you know, what about my son's? park of divinity.
3: It was snuffed out. Oh, and that's where it gets depressing because it I, I honestly feel like you have to turn off your sympathetic center. You know, the part of you that sees someone who's been hurt and you instantly feel sadness. You have to turn that off because the only people they seem to have any uh, feeling for are people who are breaking the law or mentally ill or are having some kind of problem that a you know wealth transfer would solve. But if it's someone who's genuinely experienced a devastating consequence because of a program or something that they stand for, then their sympathy center is turned off and they just, they, they seem unable to care. Um, and it's like this on every issue, whether it's protecting yourself with lawfully owned firearms. I had a lady ask me on TV uh, over, over, the Christmas time, right before Christmas, she said, I said, I don't agree with gun control because it prevents me from lawfully carrying a firearm to be able to protect myself. And she said, well, how many times have you been attacked? And I said, what? She said, describe to me the attacks that you've undergone that require you to now carry a firearm. I said, I don't have to describe anything to you. I don't ever have to have been attacked to want to defend myself. It's not if I've been attacked, it's preventing an attack. She said, I just want to hear who's attacked you and how many times you've been assaulted. And I, I was flabbergasted because what's the answer to that? Even if I told her, hey, I've been assaulted, she would have said, well, that's probably your fault. You know, there's, there is no reasoning with these people.
2: No, there, there is no reasoning. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, certain, when you look at numbers, you know, let's take, for instance, the liberals take uh, when you mentioned the Second Amendment and carrying weapons. You know, they're very scared of AR-15s there. Uh, You know, these are assault rifles. And if you look at the amount of people that are killed statistically by assault rifles and you granted, we don't have any hard numbers. We have certain numbers coming from the government government accountability office and other numbers of how many people are, uh, you know, uh, killed a year at the hands of illegal aliens, be it, you know, a homicide or a drunk driving or an accident. People that are arrested. The numbers are actually higher. They're higher, uh, you know, but they want to make a law to limit someone's ability to to get an AR-15 because, well, you know, if it saves one life. But in this case, you know, that one life, they look at it from a completely different point of view and a different angle, and it's just not as important to them. It's interesting, I guess, um, why they would have more concern about letting people cross the border um, than concern for people within the borders.
3: Well, and also, I just I, I find it confusing that it's not OK. Like, let's say um, I was out somewhere and I misgendered someone. That's a capital offense. Like, I've got to be punished. <laughs> I've got to lose my job. Right. You might be locked. they might throw away the key on you if you do I, that. And this can happen to anyone. I mean, I'm, I'm six feet, two inches tall. And if I'm not wearing any makeup and I have on a hat in the wintertime, and, you know, the person just glances a quick glance. They could easily think that I'm I'm not a woman. I mean, come on, this can happen to anyone. I've seen women before where from the side, I wasn't sure it was a woman. And then when they turned around and I could see all of them, then I knew, oh, that's a woman. But this is something that for liberals, this is something you should lose your job for. You should be run out of public life. You should definitely be run out of a restaurant. But crossing the border illegally Using a gun, which is a federal crime in the commission of a crime that actually ratchets you up to like mandatory minimum status, Um, that kind of stuff we're supposed to just look over because it's a raw number. I don't get this at all. That's why when people say liberalism is a mental disorder, I tend to agree because nothing makes sense once you start on that path to justifying criminal activity because of the person who's doing it. So if you're a Mexican, a Guatemalan or something, you have the right to do these things because your country is horrible and you need to get into America and you need to better your life. Meanwhile, Americans, well, you know, throw the book at her because she said that looks like a man. It That man is a man. Whoa, you well, you know.
2: Well, let me touch upon something you said there. You know, what about... Um you know, letting people cross the border and, and, you know, the humanitarian effort and those things that you hear from the liberal side of the argument, uh, what part of that remedies the situation? They keep saying, well, yeah, we understand we need immigration reform, but we need to let these people through. Um, Well, how does that reform immigration? You mentioned these countries these people are coming from. Some of these are socialist countries. These people want to leave the countries they are from to come to the United States. Um, They're, you know, short of stopping them at the border. How do you prevent them from coming unless you say, look, these socialist principles that they applied in these countries, they're leaving. They don't work.
3: Well, I wish that we had a third person in on this interview named... Alexandria Okami cortez She'd be fantastic (laughs) here. I would love to hear her explain because you heard her comments. She says the people coming into the country illegally are actually more American than Americans because they want to come live here. All of us who are already living here and slaving the first three or four months of the year to pay our taxes We're not the real Americans. These illegal people are. And she thinks we should have a universal income, Medicare for all, some of the stuff these countries already have where they're eating, you know, zoo animals. And the Venezuelans are a prime example of what happens when you take a thriving capitalist society and you just make a couple of tweaks towards socialism and everything falls apart.
2: Well, you can even see what's happening in France. You know, you don't even have to, to, to look at some of these countries that are economically, uh, you know, impoverished to a certain degree. You know, what is happening in France and some of the reactions to their socialist policies and the riots that are going on there now. Um, people are finding out that even though they asked for socialism and then they mm-hmm. got it, they oh, my goodness, this isn't working out the way I thought it was. And many of them are heading right up to, back, right up to America. And, and America is, is getting set. And You, you hear people and you hear uh, certain socialist leftists that are making the argument that we need these exact same policies in the United States. <laughs> and, and you look at what's happening in the countries where it's implemented, it's like, well, people are fleeing these countries. People are rioting in these countries because these policies are not working. You know, you, you, again, eventually, the, as the saying goes, eventually you run out of other people's money. That's the problem with socialism. You, you can't keep taking other people's money to provide all these programs.
3: Well, and... <sighs> You know, I hate I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Eric, you're dealing in a whole lot of facts and you know type information that that they would say those are alternative facts. So Alexandria ocami Cortez would say, "Well, if she's it, an it hasn't been done right. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been done right. You're just not doing it right. Just let me tell you how to do it um, because I'm cute and I'm fancy and I know how to use Twitter. I know how to do it right. This is a woman who didn't have enough set by in her emergency fund." to just put a deposit on, on an apartment when she won her election. It's as if she didn't think she was going to win. I can't imagine winning a seat in Congress and not having enough friends who would say, look, you know what? You just won a seat in Congress. We are paying your deposit. I mean, I, I, I imagine my mom and dad would be like, you're going to be so close to us. We'll pay your deposit. Like, who, what, in what universe does she not have the ability to raise that money? I just don't get it.
2: Uh, I, I, I guess you know maybe she's been denied credit cards or, or lines of credit. Uh, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. But again, you know, giving giving her approach to economics, you know, that wouldn't be entirely surprising. I oh. guess if that was no, the no, case. You're right. But like you said, if, if if someone has this approach to economics, would you want to lend them money?
3: I wouldn't want her anywhere near any money, which is why it's so funny. So here's here's what I hope. I I know that she's really it's fun for us to poke fun at her, but for a woman as inept as she is, she has an amazing amount of power and social capital. And my hope is that she goes onto that committee. You know, it's a powerful committee. She's going to learn a lot. And that she spends some time reading the documents and really understanding the work that comes through that committee. And you can learn a lot and it can kind of change your perspective. Uh, this has happened to me on on a number of issues where I was serving on a committee or a board or something and the information that I would read to prepare for the meetings Would color my perspective on issues that I thought I knew backwards and forwards. Uh, In my case, these truths, you know, charts, graphs, et cetera, only made me more conservative because the numbers don't lie. And that's my hope for her. When she gets in there and sees how much fraud, waste, and abuse and how much pork they're actually just funneling through, and if she truly cares about, you know, restaurant workers and working class Americans, she should have a change of heart. I mean, that's the only thing that could redeem her because right now, She's on the path to, you know, the Democrats have actually been floating online that she should run against Trump in 2020, and they're running polls on that like she could win. And the sad part is she probably could give him a run for his money. She probably could. She she definitely has the social media capital. Um, but like you said, you know,
2: she's going to be part of the, the House Financial Services Committee, um, and she's going to be looking into banking. And I think when you look into banks and lending, um, you know, what do you see are two of the most expensive things uh, as far as how fast the costs have gone up historically in America? You're looking at education and you're looking at health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she looks at banking and she looks at any, you know, why, why is there only way someone can get a college loan is if it's guaranteed through the government? Because banks aren't offering them, uh, you know, college loans like they used to because the risk has proven to be too great. But instead of, you know, looking at what the private market is doing and, and pulling back and having some reservations about this, well, no, the government gets involved and says, well, you know, it's a great thing to have an education, and, and we're going to, you know, fully guarantee these loans with taxpayer money. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be the ones that offer up offer up uh, these type of loans. Why has health care gotten more expensive government involvement? As soon as Obamacare passed, you know, why has the cost of health care increased uh, so significantly? And it it even goes back before Obamacare and government involvement. Hopefully, she'll see that the more government gets involved with these things, the more expensive they tend to turn out. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if she's going to come to that realization I don't know, Eric. or
3: not? You have you have fantastic ideas. What she
2: does is she looks into these issues.
3: I hope she will. I I hope I hope that she will. Um, I I just it's just so crazy with her. Uh, everything that's going on with her, it's just. And I, I would recommend to anyone who cares deeply for their children, grandchildren, anyone who's going to college, to recommend that they go to a really, really good state school and not take on two hundred thousand dollars in debt. Then they can come out and be marriage material and actually start their life on the good foot. Eric Shiner, director of MRC TV. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Stacy. All
3: right, talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more after this. Stay there.
7: My father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too.
3: Was she on a ship?
7: Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too.
1: Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association.
3: Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs)
7: Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. The Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The problem is most folks don't listen. Lonnie Point-Dexter. If they do listen, they don't take it to heart or they get fearful or whatever. But when you listen and act upon it, wonderful things happen. And because a man of God heard the voice of God and acted upon it, it blesses me today. And you as well for listening in. Lion Chasers.
1: Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. It's time for truth to be unveiled. It's time to get back to God with Pastor Dexter Sanders on Urban Family Talk, awakening and empowering everyday people to impact the world, discovering who we are and whose we are by the Word of God. Join Pastor D each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get back
7: to God. This is House Call for Health. Thanks to the Yanni or Laurel test, we now know that people hear sounds differently. Laurel. A woman in Hong Kong had a somewhat different kind of hearing problem. She couldn't hear
3: the voice of her boyfriend. At the hospital, the woman could hear the doctor, but according to the Daily Mail, when a young man spoke to the patient, she couldn't hear him at all. Doctors diagnosed a rare condition called reverse-slope hearing loss. With this condition, a person could only hear high frequencies, such as a woman speaking, but could not hear the words of
2: a lower-frequency, deeper-voiced males. Doctors say the condition can be brought on by stress,
3: and this patient indicated that she'd been under a lot of stress at work. The patient made a full recovery, and now she'll have to come up with a new reason for not listening when her boyfriend talks to her.
7: For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Joy Piazza, Fox News.
1: You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
5: I think the all channel model will still succeed, but in order to be profitable, a department store like Nordstrom's needs to learn how to make more money on the Internet. So you can't just say, well, do all the right things in the bricks and mortar store, make them more experiential, etc. They've been doing that and it's not enough. And you can see that in their results. Their, their, their high end stores were up in sales only three tenths of one percent over the holiday period. And that includes their e-commerce, which was up 18%. So you don't have to know a lot of algebra to know that their physical bricks-and-mortar stores were sharply negative during this season. So you need to embrace the inevitable. You can't just sort of build a fancier stagecoach in order to prevent the advent of the automobile. You have to build a profitable e-commerce site. And that requires redoing their business system
7: okay, well, in order
5: to be profitable online.
3: So welcome back to the program. This is a little bit of a, we're going to segue into some business here. Um, And I, I found this fascinating. They had the former CEO of Toys R Us to come on to Fox Business and talk to Stuart Barney about Um, This retail apocalypse as it continues to roil across the country. And so we've we've discussed this before a couple times on the show how malls are being repurposed. And he talked about, you know, third tier strip malls and then actual large malls that are second tier and then first tier malls. First tier malls, that's going to be your gallerias, your your uh, your largest most popular malls in a metropolitan area those will continue to have great uh foot traffic and and the the anchors on those malls tend to they tend to have one extra high end retailer like a nordstrom uh or a saks or something like that and then they'll have the traditional alternative retailer like a macy's and the macy's has really supplanted your jc and especially your sears Uh, For retailers that people tend to want to go and shop at. And the Macy's keeps the floor cleaner. They keep a better handle on the clothing racks and making sure that everything is hung up and looks neat. And they have enough people working there to not only help you with your purchases, but to help you with, you know, making decisions or pointing you in the right direction. And so those are the mainstays that will continue to do decent business. Also, Macy's has a, a kind of a reward program and a credit card that they link everything up to that makes them much more viable than, say, a JCPenney or a Sears. Um, so, and, and he's talking here about Nordstrom. And I found it interesting when I was listening to the audio and, and watching the show, I found it interesting that no one is connecting our huge radio audience, our huge online presence here at American Family Radio. And our annual naughty list that we put out for retailers, on um, which Nordstrom has been—you know—they're—they're they're not on the full-blown naughty list, but they're on the kind of—they're—they're they're being naughty by refusing to acknowledge that the reason we have such a, a retail bonanza in the month of December and leading up to it between uh, Thanksgiving and December and Christmas is Christmas. They—they they have. Um, these beautiful in-store displays. Nordstrom is one of my favorite stores when it comes to cleanliness and ease of being able to see from one end of the store to the other. Their return policy is top-notch, second to none. And they have the kind of stuff that my kids and I tend to, like the stuff we like to buy for other people for gifts, the stuff we hope that we'll get for a gift. Um, But I did not spend, I think I'm at zero. I think I spent $0 in December, well, the, the lead up to Christmas, at Nordstrom. Uh, And it it was a bit of a change for us. And it's interesting how it came about because I obviously I pay attention to the naughty list. But last Christmas, so not 2019, 2018, not 2018, 2017, I was actually at a friend's house for our book club and we were talking about um, the places that we shop. And I was saying that I'd actually put it on Instagram, this picture of this display. It's uh, in Nordstrom. It's this huge red. It's got to be like 16 feet tall. And it's a red, it's it's completely painted red lacquer. um, One of those, it's a wooden soldier type thing, a nutcracker, not an operational one, but it's basically a red nutcracker. And they had it on the corner. And I was actually there to do a return. I took a picture of it and I posted it on, on Instagram. And my friend kind of called me on the carpet and she said, you were shopping in Nordstrom? It's on the AFA naughty list. And I was totally rebuked, y'all. I was like, oh, I guess I was. So then I purposed. I said, you know, I've already, I already went there and bought something and then I returned something else. So it's too late for this year, but next year I'm going to pay attention. And you remember this year for this past Christmas on the program, I read the naughty list. I think we might've had someone from one news now.com on, and we touched on it then The point is that this time I made a conscious effort not to go in there and shop. And I think if you multiply that out across the country, 32 states, all of the multiple millions of people that we touch on a monthly basis with our radio programming and who go to the website and check out the list, that that translates into what we're seeing, which was a bit of a, you know, it was a depressive type of a season for Nordstrom. And as he described, they do everything right. They do have the gold standard return policy. They do take the time to have their employees really do a good job in helping you. They, w- they can translate an online sale into a retail transaction and a retail transaction into an online sale seamlessly. They're great at what they do. And the store looks fantastic. It's so easy to shop. That being said, if we're talking about convenience, then yeah, you would want to be there. But if you're talking about what matters, being able to continue to acknowledge the reason we have these holidays, that, that, yeah, there are lots of holidays that have been conveniently stationed around Christmas, but Christmas is the reason why Americans go out and spend billions of dollars giving things to each other, emulating Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. Then it is important that they're experiencing this, but I don't see them making the connection between their lower stock price and the lower amount of people who frequented their store and what we're doing here. And so I'm drawing this connection to what's happened because I would like to ask you, the listeners, uh, here on this station, on on what we're doing here at AFA and AFR and Urban, to send an email. Uh, If you're a Nordstrom's customer and you didn't make purchases there over December, perhaps an email telling them why would help them to understand that we're alive and we're still working and earning money and we still have disposable income with which to make decisions and we could go back to Nordstrom's in mass, and we could change things around in their favor while still getting stuff that we want. Um, if you're a Nordstrom shopper and you have a history of shopping there and you skipped December like I did, an email would be great. Just email them and keep it nice. Keep it upbeat. Just wanted to let you know that we skipped shopping at Nordstrom's because you guys don't acknowledge Christmas. If you acknowledge Christmas next Christmas season, we'd love to come back and shop with you. An American Family Radio listener, an American Family Association you know, uh, uh, person, whatever you want to sign yourself as, I think it would be good to make the connection for them because they're missing it. Now, this same guest, the former CEO of Toys R Us, went on to make a couple more statements about the huge malls and what's being done with them when people stop shopping in them. And I thought this was fascinating, too, because what I hope is that they won't just turn them all to rubble because it's kind of a waste, but that they'll repurpose the ones that are newer and could be something else, as Google is doing. Here he is talking about it number five.
5: Well, we talk about A malls, B malls, and C malls. The C malls are gone. You know, they need to go out of business. They'll become uh, doctor's offices, insurance play, uh, offices, places to get your nails filed, you know, that kind of a thing. They're done. Forget about them. The B malls are a mixed bag. Some of them will be fantastic mixed-use developments. They need to be repurposed. You can't keep them the way they are, that's for sure. And you saw Google putting office space in there. I think you'll see a lot of residential, you know, apartment buildings along with streetscapes in those kinds of malls. The A malls are still, vi- still viable, and they will be. And they're putting in great restaurants, theaters, entertainment, and successful concepts, which attract, you know, young people, millennials, who have not really been going to the mall.
3: So, he talks about the millennials, but I want to make a point. And in addition, this might help with our emails, our, our little campaign that we're going to do. And I want to make the point that they're always talking about this might help with millennials. And they do need to attract millennials into the A-level malls and develop a habit in them for wanting to go and experience what's in the mall. So that's why we're seeing changes. More restaurants, higher level restaurants, higher quality um, kind of a, a cafe-type atmosphere, an outdoor walking experience as well as an indoor one, a lot of changes being made to revamp and bring malls into the current, you know, the way people like to shop. That being said, millennials, sure, that's a great group. That's the future. But there's still, you know, what, how many millions? 50 million? I don't know how many multiple tens of millions there are of us who aren't millennials who are decreasing the number of times that we actually frequent a mall. In order to keep us engaged and we have a higher level of disposable income than millennials do, it would behoove them to figure out what it is that we want to see in malls and try to get that going as well. So again, we're going to adjust our shopping habits and convenience plays a huge, huge role in that, but it is fun to go um, into a retail location if, if you need to buy something and to do it in a place that you feel is welcoming and acknowledges your... Your, your existence. And malls used to be so ubiquitous that everyone felt welcome and it was fun for, for anyone to go. They have to try to recapture that. Um, oh, we have a great call. Okay. Um, Renee in Texas. Thanks for calling the show. Hi. Hi. The
4: thing that I wanted to point out was uh, the liberals have been using a lot of emotions to sell their points of view. And I think the Republicans and the conservatives have been, been using... A lot of facts, and what we need to do is start using more emotion. And when so, when Trump uh, gives his address, they should put a TV behind him with a bunch of pictures that show faces of people who are are uh, he who are the people behind the facts. So that when you know when they say four thousand rapes or something, whatever it was, mm. you know uh, then. People see their faces and they start going, oh, wow, this is much more prevalent than I thought it was because they're starting to see the faces and starting to uh, feel the emotion of all the facts that we're stating.
3: Brilliant. I love your idea because that's not hard to do, right? You're talking about no, it's not. <laughs> the, the rotating collage of people in the, behind him on a screen. That would be a part of these numbers that I've been quoting. So just like I've been just totally writing these numbers, but there are people, Renee, you're talking about the 76,000 dangerous drug offenses, 48,000 assaults, 11,000 weapons offenses, 5,000 sexual assaults, 2,000 kidnappings and 1,800 homicides. That's too many for him to actually show. But if he had, let's say he had the faces of everyone who was sexually assaulted or everyone who was kidnapped, or maybe the people who were who were killed because they would not have privacy concerns, Um, the faces of them or their families, anyone who would consent to having their image or their family member's image up there. Imagine, not the hardcore Democrats, Renee, but the regular people out in the world who normally are swayed by the Democrats. That's who you're talking about, right? You're talking about talking to them.
4: Those people, you know, the people that Trump's trying to talk to when he was talking out of the, the, the Oval Office. Yeah. If they had had these things behind him... And, you know, when you see little pictures that are maybe two inches by, you know, an inch and a half covering the whole thing, (laughs) the whole uh, TV screen, and you have to have eight pages to get through all of them, that Mm -hmm. tells something.
3: I love your idea. I think it's a fantastic way to tap into something that the Republicans have not been able to do with charts and graphs. I actually have the emotional response when I see the numbers, but you're right. Most people need more than that. And um, I'm not sure why we're not doing it because technologically this is not hard. You're not talking about something that would require a mammoth effort. Renee, thank you. (laughs) Renee in Texas, thank you so much for calling with your idea. Um, Actually, we'll email it to someone that I know that, I mean, obviously I don't have deep connections in the White House, hence my never having met the president. But I will email Renee's idea, and I will say this is an idea from a caller named Renee in Texas about how you guys could do it. I'm hoping that the president uh, will do the State of the Union from the Senate chambers since Nancy won't relent the the House chambers. The Senate chambers are smaller, but he could still have, since most of the Democrats won't come, he could have the Republican membership there. They wouldn't be able to have a lot of guests, but he could still have the State of the Union there. I also like the idea from a caller yesterday that he go to the southern border um, and have the State of the Union from the southern border, um, one of the most dangerous areas he could go to. He might even have border crossings going on, illegal ones in the background while he's talking, um, which would be interesting to see. I think there's a lot of options for the president on doing the, uh, the, the address, and he doesn't have to listen to Nancy Pelosi. She's not his boss. She's not the boss of him, as the kids would say. All right, I want to quickly cover uh, this story. It's an op ed, but I love it. Trump's reelection chances may be better than you think. His current economist UGov polling is approval rating of 45, disapprove 52. And if history's any guide, according to this author, his chances of being reelected are pretty good. He compares the 1994 Bill Clinton approval rating after two years in office, which was 40%. So don't believe the hype when they say President Trump's poll numbers are the worst ever. It's just not true. And Newt Gingrich had his contract with America, giving Republicans a majority in the House of Representatives for the first time in 40 years. Republicans also picked up eight Senate seats in 1994 and had the majority in both houses. So Republicans thought in 1996 they were going to win. They nominated Bob Dole a sober but uninspiring Washington fixture. The comeback kid, Clinton, had a Gallup approval rating of 60% by September of 1996. In other words, he was a change artist who saw an opportunity and they ran a bad candidate. The game is afoot for 2020 and President Trump is in it to win it. I don't for one second think he can't pull it off. The question is, what's gonna happen with this shutdown? We're gonna have fantastic guests for you tomorrow. Uh, Burgess Owens and uh, our good friend, Dr. Carol Swain. You don't want to miss that. Have a great night. Good evening, citizens from the heartland.